All right. So welcome to the Friday evening talk. I think that uh, Christmas is on Sunday this year, right? So we're coming right up to it within the next few hours or so. Um, and so I'm really surprised to see so many of you here today. And we've been uh, enjoying the moment for a while, and then it stumbled across the idea that, um, you know, everyone is racist. It's part of our nature. It has to do with, uh, with instinct. In fact, uh, the, the instinct would be the territorial instinct that you see uh, that in many, many animals. That in fact, one example that's very, very um, interesting is, is that they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone and that they put radio collars on quite a few of them and started to track. And what they found out was is that these uh, wolves collected themselves into tribes and that they had natural boundaries or natural borders between the tribalism and it only took them one generation to set that stuff up. And that was kind of amazing that, uh, but that's how deeply um, territorial we are. That in fact, the territory, that instinct is very close to the ter to the issue of what we would call ownership or control the instinct of this is mine. I sure. own this. Okay, so this is my place. Go ahead, David. That's rooted, that's rooted in survival, though, ultimately. Absolutely. Right? Most that's, of what's fascinating, right. like most of the things we condemn as shadow fundamentally are dis disassociated instinctual intelligence fundamentally mm. and it's like we believe we have to castrate these things there's a great quote by jung actually that says i would rather be whole than be good and i think fundamentally that means that goodness as as he's kind of responding to nietzsche is a phenomenon based on cultural identity and it changes all the time whole integrated whole is the dharmakaya it is the way of being it is the wholeness it is gautama under the tree unifying neither towards nor away any further like total unification and like mm -hmm. it's not to be it's not to condemn tribalism it's to incorporate tribalism into a larger sense of tribe right you don't remove an instinct exactly. you don't remove you expand the borders exactly yeah. well, well that's young as well you you yeah. greater Self. You do not limit. You do not come in. You get. You get greater. You get larger. Hold the darkness as well. That than just staying in the little light, right? You're talking Absolutely. very drama, David. Yes, yeah. that's good. Right. Okay. Love so it. that means then that the self-preservation instinct is the basic instinct. Yes. And that the other instincts follow along uh, in support of that. Now, one of the things that we get messed up with in our culture is the procreation instinct because we immediately go to sex. But in fact, that's just one of the many kinds of procreation that we do. Uh, uh, we make things, we have concepts and ideas and that the mind is the forerunner to all things. The example that I use is, is that the first car was an idea. Yeah, yeah. Gautama says, says, from all things proceed from mind, from the mind, all things proceed or come, right? One of the, exactly. one of the Dhamma 
of Dhammapada. All, yeah, and, that, and that's where ideology and philosophy, our time is a war of philosophy. It's a war of meaning, first within our own relationship to, to reality, fundamentally, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, and Gautama, 2,500 or 2,650 years ago, I mean, the same thing. Exactly. So there are four basic instincts. The procreation instinct is number two. Number one, the big deal is um, self-preservation. Now, I would say that that could be better stated as um, organism preservation instinct. It is trying to uh, uh, keep the organism alive. And the basic communication of that is fear. That if we did not have fear, we would have been dead long ago. We would have walked into the principal's office and hit him, or we would have done something really stupid. We would have walked into the road. We would have jumped off a cliff. We would have done anything like that if we were completely fearless. And yet fear winds up being the number one problem that we have in the world. And we manipulate each other through propaganda to make people afraid. Yes, but, in but fact, it's not that the was that's the problem. It's not libido that's the problem. It's not violence that's the problem. It's the disuse or misuse of these qualities, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, 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 the neglected child of our own souls that then screams back at us and says, you know, where am I? Where, where are you? Right. And then we become afraid of fear. We come, you know, if you go into some communities, there's afraid of afraid of aggression, become so pacified that if you were to go into the wild, you'd be dead in a day. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and that, that cannot be the way of being. That cannot be the highest dharma. And we can um, see some of it even in superficial conversations. If you look at psychiatric students, something like this, perhaps they'll tell each other, oh, your aggression is so well sublimated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In your door, like, basically, you push it all into this weird, like, yeah. <laughs> Instead of integration, they look to chop, like you're saying. And, and we can chop and chop and chop and chop, and it can be helpful along the way. But just like we saw with what you were saying about violence, when they reintroduced those wolves in Yellowstone, one of the things that they noticed is that the shores of the waters that ran through there started to hold together better. And this yeah. is because wolves, they didn't sublimate aggression. Instead, no. they took proper action to do their jobs as part of the system that they were integrated within again. When yes. they were taken out, they would eat too much from the shores. And these, these soils would become loose. It wouldn't be able to hold. Yeah. And yet when the wolves were reintroduced, they did their thing. And those little geoengineers, those little beautiful bastards, they went about <laughs> eating and doing what they needed to do to help, you know, mother And we... In what we were doing, we thought by killing them all, bam, 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 that we were doing something that was helpful for us, which for a time it was. But this is one of the ways in which we see that we all interbe. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Everything I mean, the, those. the river regained its original shape. It actually changed course, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then it's it's oh. almost, you know, as the Christian, the Bible would say, what is without, so too within. And like you can then see that even the, the qualities of being the ultimate dharmakaya of reality require the violence to sustain the river herself. I mean, fuck, that is like. I, that is, if that doesn't blow you out, I don't know what would. I mean, I was in a retreat <laughs> one 
and I, I was, you know, doing a lot of meditation. And there was this moment where I began to be like, oh, my God, the Dharma is quite literally speaking from every single angle if you just perceive it the right way. And it was all, I mean, it right. felt psychedelic to the point where this, yeah. this cascade yeah. of meaning is falling off of a single blade of grass or of a snake moving through as Thich Nhat Hanh, beautiful, well, I'm not going to quote him, but the point being is like you can look at everything and see that inner being, that, that dependent origination, and that fundamental, even archetypal aspect of all qualities moving through the, the, the fabric of this existence. Mm -hmm. I mean, the wolves, that's one of the most eloquent examples of the need to reintegrate the disassociated qualities of mind. That mm -hmm. is like, if you can't see that, if Nietzsche didn't kind of prove his point in that one moment, mm -hmm. like... How beautiful. Thank you so much, David. That was so beautiful to share with you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad I answered the phone. This is cool. Yeah, ah, excellent. I'm, and this is what I want to see promoted, too, is this sort of sangha of people getting together and understanding that you're not alone in the world. That yeah, we, yeah. Uh, and so right. <laughs> there's something very interesting, uh, not just something, this this whole topic of instincts is extraordinarily powerful because it, it describes human behavior, but all animals, especially mammals, but not just mammals, ducks and geese and fish and everything has these four instincts. Okay. And so we've talked about two of them just a bit. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about the procreation instinct as materialism, wanting to own and control things. That the example that I use is once way, way back when this guy uh, was uh, getting the marrow out of the bone of some big carcass that the uh, wolves had finished couldn't get it and he picked up a rock and this particular rock had a kind of an edge to it so it made the bones break easy well otters use stones they will go and get a clam at the bottom and a stone and then they'll go to the surface and and uh, uh swim on their back and then use that stone to break open uh the clam but what does the otter always do with the stone after he gets the thing open he just drops it so what made us human is the fact that someplace along the line, somebody picked up a rock and he thought it was a nice rock. It did the job and he kept it. Oh. Maybe a, um, a generation or so later, somebody wrapped a twine and a stick around it. And now we've got the first hand axe. And that's it. And we use those things for protection and for tools. That in fact, there's very little distinction between a tool and a weapon. Because we use them for the same thing. We use it for making our life better and for self-protection. That in fact, that original stone that we're talking about is now the modern day cell phone. Yeah. It used to be a gun. Before mm -hmm. that, it was a dagger or a knife or a sword, and very few people went around without being armed. That, in fact, the Sikhs, part of their religion is you've got to have a particular kind of dagger with you. I saw and, the other day a small snippet in a cartoon that I like to watch sometimes, and I, I swear, you know, mm -hmm. I never know where they get these things from, but it sure does come back around. <laughs> it said something along the lines of, you know, it's really great that we do all these things, but as soon as 
a being is able to extract enough sugar from something using a machine to give itself diabetes, it needs to start looking beyond conflict. Mm -hmm. You know? And I thought that was a very interesting idea with what Damarato was talking about with the weapons and such, too, because for a long time that was needed in order to get to where we are. But even back no, under we, the street, that's because it was a widespread belief. Yeah, if everybody is, had the belief this is a safe place and we can get along together, then there would have been no need for the knives. It was the fact that it was mass hysteria that other people are dangerous. But but just like just like the that. world, because because also similarly, like within within mammalian and well, I mean not even just mammalian, there are violent conflicts and and rights of land and so that that instinct transcends into consciousness itself yeah right and we see people talk about this when they talk about the development of the human throughout evolutionary psychology when they use the term self-domestication yes yes i used to be like a tiger as a young boy and i think someone else said something about it you know now i'm a house cat Mm-hmm. And Wait, say that again. Said, I, missed, I missed what you just said. I, said. I used to be like a tiger when I was younger, and now I am much more like a house cat. And I much prefer to be more like a house cat. We are we are animals that can no longer, for the most of us, walk barefoot upon the earth. I, I had I had a moment. It was one of the most religious moments of my life. I was I was riding a motor. I was in this. Okay, I, I'm not, not riding a motorcycle barefoot. <laughs> I was riding a Other than that, <laughs> I crossed this mountain peak. A pass in um. On the Tibetan Plateau, actually, and as I crested, these this pack of four wolves walked over at the same time, and I'm, I, I kid you not, we were less than twenty feet from each other, and they looked at my eyes. I could see the color. Oh, they were blackish, but they I could see like straight into their fucking pupils, and this animal had been so hardened and perfected by its environment. There was no coddling. There was no pug in it at all. All of that was 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 a, was a nightmare to the dogs that came from them ten thousand years before, and like yeah. these beings were as close to something holy as I had ever seen. And they moved on. They looked at me, and I I I, I wasn't afraid. They didn't give any any um, territorial kind of stances. They but they never single broke a stride. Never broke a single stride. And they just looked kind of like amused almost and just kept walking or kind of trotting up this mountain that must have reached at its, at its peak like 18 19,000 feet and they're just going up and there's these little farming villages where yak and knack will will uh, will graze and they'll hunt them mm-hmm. they'll take down these animals and just seeing this being in like 30 like 0 celsius on a mountaintop walking higher up without ever slowing down no hint of exhaustion and i'm i'm looking at it and it was like everything that had been tamed in me realized had been a slight small sin to a degree i had given up something i had forgotten something not that we should be worrying not kind of nature yeah like like you gotta your connection to nature yeah like like i think a lot of times you can see enlightenment in a lot of animals and uh even babies because they haven't like developed the critical thinking interpretation mechanisms to um separate themselves out from reality as an individual entity sure so they're like constantly they don't really have the ability to mentally proliferate so like um 
which makes them enlightened to an extent. But like humans are kind of different because a human has the ability to mentally proliferate and discern reality and discern the nature of reality itself and the rules by which it operates. But they also have the capacity to return to the non the no mind of not mentally proliferating about any of it and just being it like this mm -hmm. is it. It's like, such a unique like, position like you're to be in. About with the Dhammakaya before. If you think yep. there's any difference between spiritual and physical meditation and not meditation, you're still in mm -hmm. an illusion because all of it is the Dhamma. There's yeah. nothing else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, you, but you know, there have been, um, there's a, um, several times in history, one would be uh, Tarzan. Romulus and Remus are two other examples of where human beings were not raised by human beings. They were raised by animals. And they became much more natural. Return to monkey. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, this, this human baby was born an ape and stayed an ape. It didn't get socialized. Well, I, I just want to add, I, I'm not saying that like to return there, okay, there's a great quote by Herman Hess that goes something like, it is not back to the child nor back to the wolf. It is, it is deeper still, further yet into the sin. It is deeper back into the human complexity that we then find God. And I'm not trying to say that we should go back. Actually, to the it's not that deep. <laughs> what? It's not that deep. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say. More about, was, it's more about like light, lightening up. Like, light, no, well, what, like what the I was deeper say, you're going, the more confusing simply, it's getting. I was just going to say, I'm not, I'm not saying that the wolf was enlightened. I was saying that it's, it's complete perfection of the environment had, had let mm -hmm. it, had coddled it in no way. So it was, it was hardened. But in the, in Buddha, Buddhist philosophy, it is only through the human life that one can actually enlighten. And so it's like, it's not the, the kind of born into non-dualism. It's, it's the return back, right? So that exactly so. So what you're actually saying. Yet I hear Biko Buddha Dasa talks about it. He says, when you're a young, young child and your mama has you cradled and the little dog comes over and she kicks at the dog, mm -hmm. this is the moment. This is the first hindrance. Right, exactly then, so. Then the then child he... walks around and stubs his toe and says, ah, and kicks the chair, thinking the chair is separate and can have a self. You know, and then this goes on forever and ever and ever and ever until one day we either hit our head hard enough and something physically changes and we go, oh, fuck, this is it? Or That's we sit long enough and we go, oh, this is it. And I like the second one, you know, because then I don't have to have a rod in my head. <laughs> All right, we can sum up then. We can sum up what we're saying here. Cool. Sorry. No, go for it. Okay. We, we can... We can we can sum this up then by saying that humans, as well as all the other animals, have a whole lot of equipment we are born with, that programming of instincts. Originally. And what human society has done is warp our instincts, layering them, using them, misusing them. And the example that I would use is the nesting instinct or the herding instinct, because that keeps us safe. If we have a nest to sleep in, but then there are nest rules, there are house rules. 
And our society has so misused that one that we wind up, every one of us, doing what we're told to do without joining it. We just go along to get along because we're, we're social. That nesting instinct is that social system that we have. And we just go ahead and just do what we're told to do, and then we resent it. Mm-hmm. And we do it sometimes or do it poorly. Isolation. And so uh, one of the most important qualities of the Dhamma then is to understand that the Buddha had these things too. These four basic instincts, can um, they've got analogies to them, and one of them is the four modes of clinging. Now, originally, people will think that all that means that the instincts are bad. No, it's that we cling in four ways according to the misuse of these instincts. And one of them is, is that humans go around being afraid of things that there is no fear inherently in. But it once did, so we remember it from the past and we're socialized into seeing things as dangerous to where in fact they're not. Another thing that humans do with the territorial instinct is we start using concepts and ideas and belief systems and things like that as our territory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Scott. Uh, I was going to ask a question about uh, uh, the the underlying tendency for craving for being. Mm-hmm. And then the one Isn't after that. that- Look at that. that. The Buddha knew that. The underlying tendency, the instinct of craving for being the self-preservation instinct. I mean, listen to that. The Buddha knew about this stuff scientifically 2,500 years ago. Go ahead, Scott. So I wanted to say that, like, yeah, like once you realize <laughs> the, the let go of the or change or transcend or whatever you want to call it, the underlying tendency for craving for being, which is essentially is the animal to the fear of death at the end mm-hmm. of it. It's just the fear of, of this body dying. And then so like that's why the Buddha always took people to the charnel grounds and showed them dead corpses and said, hey, look at those. This body will be like that, too. So once you let go of the craving for being the craving for birth, the craving for being somebody like a person being mm-hmm. alive, then th- that leads to the realization of non-being or mm. the system or the neurona. Mm-hmm. Being um, nor and then once, once you experience that, it's so, it's so profoundly good mm-hmm. that you crave for that too. So the next underlying thing is the craving for non-being. Because so the, a Buddha goes the middle way. He doesn't crave to not exist or he doesn't crave to exist either. So it's like it's like he's like escaped the cycle of it all, the cycle of birth and death. Mm-hmm. That's what the that's what that means by the wheel of samsara. It's like coming into existence and coming out of it. W- once you let go of both of that, you see the divine and the mundane or the emptiness in the form and the form out of the emptiness. Like it's all the dhammakaya, like it's the one reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's expand upon that, Scott. Um, 
wherever we are, if we want to leave that place and go someplace else, there's both a death and a birth involved with that. We are dying to the place that we are in when we leave it. And when we go someplace else, then that's a new birth. And so uh, we go through that life death cycle that that is the big deal at the bottom of the instincts. <laughs> Actually, we play that out with every time that we move around. <laughs> we play that out. OK, and you can see uh, in fact, there's an old Jimmy Durante song. Uh, that the Coneheads did when they were about to go back to their uh, their original planet. Okay, have you ever had the feeling that you wanted to go, you wanted to go, and you wanted to stay, stay, go, go, stay? Do re mi fa sol la ti do. I go, I stay. Now that's really, really profound. I mean, it's a silly little song, but when we recognize that, we recognize that we do sometimes have bad feelings over, am I leaving, am I going? I mean, this is all about the rituals of goodbyes and hellos. Yeah. And we have those rituals. In fact, uh, this it happens from time to time when somebody's cell phone cuts off and they're mm-hmm. gone from the cock. And then they yeah. have bad feelings because he didn't go through the goodbye ritual. Mm-hmm. That we were, they were, you know, killed instantly and necessarily by a dead battery. <laughs> uh, and and so we can actually see then that the four modes of clinging that the Buddha was talking about were rediscovered by science in the form of these instincts. And that they call them underlying tendencies. And these are the four modes of clinging that if we cling in that way, we wind up in one of those woeful states like hell. And the one that we use the most is that woeful animal. We're all born as an animal. And what do we mean in that? It doesn't mean a worm or an insect or a snake or whatever. We're talking about the animals that were draft animals. Elephants and horses and uh, uh, domesticated animals. Why? Because the we humans use an animal to do what we want to do with unconcern for the uh, for the horse. So I've got two examples. One I saw this in India: a donkey that was tied on his back to a pole that ground that had a grinding wheel on it, and this donkey was around this path. And the owner was putting the sugar cane in and making sugar cane juice and selling it out on uh, on the street. Guess how much of that sugar cane juice that donkey got? Not much. <clears throat> he might have gotten the husk and that might have been enough. But him, it might have been. He might have just been playing his position, huh? Yeah, he might have been. Uh, but the donkey <laughs> didn't look too happy to me when I was there with him. Here's another example that the, the, the horse is in the pasture with all kinds of pastoral uh, foods to eat and the pasture and, and the horse are bought by a new guy and the and he puts a, a harness and a plow on that uh, horse and makes the horse plow up his own pasture. That is an Just, amazing symbol. Wow. Damarato. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's what we do in our lives. We are taught 
to do what we're told to do. You got to go get a job. You got to go do this. You got to go do that. Um, we've got obligations and all of that comes out of that uh, uh, being a, you know, a dumb animal. And then but humans are smart enough to recognize, wait a minute, I'm doing something and I don't like to do it. But then we make the mistake is I don't like to do it because he made me do it. My boss made me do this. OK, now. We res so we resent our job. Most work that's done in the world is make do work. Unnecessary work. An example of that is all they would have to do is change the tax laws in the United States and every accountant in the country is out of business. <laughs> About half the courses, courts get cleaned out. Same I mean, with we actually make stuff to do that is completely unnecessary to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Scott. Oh, I just wanted to give a testimonial of uh, before I started practicing uh, meditation as taught by Don Rado, um, I used to have like a problem with authority. Like I would, I would either be afraid of them or really <laughs> angry, angry and resentful towards authority. So no matter who it is telling me what to do or a boss, I would either be scared of getting their approval or I would like hate them on the inside. So I'd be like suffering on the inside. And then it wasn't until I realized like the 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 joy of the Dhamma and like the power in it, like there's something powerful in it. When I started to realize like the transcendent peace and love that came all only from within and right in between my two ears, mm. I that destroyed um, all fear of authority. Now I just see them as my friends. And yeah, I treat them like friends. my friends. Yes, that whole so, so that's yeah, my friends. Thank the you. The reality so is, is that every human being is a human being, period. That's all we have to do. But our society teaches, oh, this one's big, this one's little, this one's rich, this one's poor, this one's bad, this one's good. And we bring in all of these judgments about people that we're better than or less than which is a, a, a comparison or a competition. We make our whole lives a competition for no reason at all. We don't have to compete with each other. Or if we do, we can do it in a win-win situation to where everybody wins. Everybody. But no, our, yeah, but we have a, a culture that's set up about winning and losing. Now I can understand instinctually where that comes from because in the old days the winners had dinner and the losers were lunch. <laughs> yes, sir. But mm. we don't live in that kind of society anymore. That we used to live in a jungle and it was dangerous. Now we have uh, cities, but we call them concrete jungles <laughs> because everybody there is still afraid. And you know what's funny about that? When they have to be grouped in such a way, we hear phrases come out of those areas that are so beautiful, like, we all we got. Mm -hmm. Or it when is I, what it is. It is what it is. That's another great one. Oh, it's amazing. You That's know? So, yeah. That phrase, when I see that phrase pop up, I love to see it because I recognize it as a quick reminder from whatever Bodhisattva dropped it there for me to just... Take a nice breath. 
I was going to ask you, Domorado, um, can you talk about um, Sama Sun? Because we're talking about competition and winners and losers. But mm-hmm. another thing that you that I started training my mind to do is be a winner. So like uh, that's what you teach about Sama Sankapa, if I understand mm-hmm. that correctly. So it's like being a winner in your own mind is like number one thing to do. Because like from being a winner, you're going to be more compassionate to others because you're not competing with them. So it's like, right. let's say, oh, your girlfriend. So, yeah, yeah. So let's say, oh, your girlfriend cheats on you, uh, leaves you. Uh, like, you can, in your mind, think of yourself as a loser or you can think, oh, well, she just filtered herself out of my life for me. And I, I, I need wholesome friends around me. So it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise. So like you think about it in a way that makes you a winner and then you feel like a winner. Like, and that, that, that's so. All right. Let's look at two things then, or, uh, or two different ways. Let's look at it from the ordinary position versus the noble position. Now, in a relationship, in an ordinary position, the winner is the one who leaves, who quits. And the loser is the one who lost something that they wanted. And so in that regard, uh, part of the, you know, tending to or going towards a noble, it's better to quit a job than to get fired. It's better to leave on your own rather than getting kicked out of whatever it is because that yeah. really it really hurts our social our, our nesting instinct we don't like to get yeah. kicked out of the nest because yeah, it's dangerous okay yeah but the reality is many relationships are more dangerous than getting out of them but we don't That's use the wisdom for that true yeah Now let's look at it from the perspective of the noble and the noble that you were mentioning, Scott, is, is that we threw Anapanasati and getting our own internal success going, that will give us that, that attitude about how to deal with the rest of the people. That in fact, we deal with other people the way that we deal with ourselves on our own insert anyway. So if we're cranky and, um, uh, controlling and uh, critical of ourselves, then we'll be exactly that way to others on the outside. Right. And so we actually do need to do that noble training on the inside first through Anapanasati, is to really get our own mind together. In the 1960s or 70s, they had the expression, you got to get your shit together, man, right? <laughs> And then the joke is, is, yeah, I got all my shit together and now I can't move it. It's so heavy. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the the idea of the unification of mind, which basically means we make friends with our own internal system, which means we wisely deal with these instincts. We're not trying to get rid of them because they keep us alive. If we didn't have any instincts, our wisdom wouldn't be sufficient. But what we do with Anapanasati practice is by developing the wisdom, we let the wisdom now guide the instincts. An example of that would be fear. If, if, if you know that you would feel fear if you go into that particular bar, then don't go into that particular bar. Let's use our wisdom. Let's not charge in there and then wind up in danger. 
And so this is, but children, we can't teach them that, but we can adults. So we give children rules. And now we all grow up as adults using rules as a substitute for our own wisdom. And so what we need to do then is to start looking at what's going on and figuring out what's going on so that we'll know how to deal with things wisely. We can see how things are, are tending, see how things are going that way. So this is part of that getting your mojo together, getting your uh, Sama Sankapa. Um, everybody here has probably had enough mathematics to know about an equation with an equal sign or common. And then a little bit later in, in that, then you learn about greater than, equal, less mm. than, greater than or equal, less than or equal. Okay. And then a little further in you uh, to math, you learn about equivalencies, which take into consider uh, uh, errors. But what we're going to do here is we're going to change that sign because most of them, we go around greater than or less than. That's what our culture operates on. I'm greater than you or I'm less than you. And we can only make friends with those that we think are equal. But we can change that equation sign into a heart shape. Hmm. That's the way to go, is to stop comparing ourselves to others and uh, treat them as friends. The Dhamma is all about friendship. But the first place that it comes in is within our own minds, which means that we learn to control these instincts, make them our, uh, let us say, our allies or our companions rather than our masters, because mostly we are driven by our instincts ignorantly. And now it's time to wake up. And how we do that waking up is by this thought that comes to mind, sitting there silently, and this thought comes up, what am I going to do with it? Well, in Anapanasati, we're going to examine that thought. Is this thought worth having or not? Because often we're thinking of thoughts that are repetitive, going over and over again. Every time we have the thought, we feel bad. We feel like we've got work to do. We feel uptight and upset. And all we have to do is change those thoughts in the moment. I can see that thought and I can make a change to it. So. If we can do that over and over and over and over again, we become successful at being able to control what kind of thoughts that we're going to have. That's an amazing quality to be able to know that you can, in fact, control the thoughts that you're having. You've learned to control your breathing. You've learned to control your thoughts. Guess what? The next item on the list is what uh, Scott was talking about. That's Sama Sankapa, which is get our feelings in line with our thoughts and our body. We get the body relaxed, we get the mind wholesome, and we do this over and over again. And then we actually, instead of just knowing that we're comfortable and safe and secure in our posture, we can actually feel safe and secure. We can get down to that point that right now, the self-preservation instinct can become a lap dog. He does not have to be a, a, a barking uh, uh, master. So uh, we learn to control these feelings by the reality is getting ourselves in a real safe, secure, comfortable environment and then capitalize on that reality 
so that we actually think about being safe, secure, comfortable, relaxed, secure, and satisfied that right now what I'm doing is okay. And so we do that over and over again, and pretty soon we add that additional point about success. Success. That's where the winner starts to build in. I can do this. I can control my mind. I can throw out all of those woulds and shoulds and coulds and all of that kind of stuff and just be comfortable right here, right now. And so, um, go ahead, uh, Alex. I wanted to share two things. Also say thank you to both of you, of course. Let me figure out how to make the technology hand go away. Okay. One, uh, there's something I had been reading in the Dhamma as of recently, and it really intrigued me because what it talked about is something Dhammarato has talked about often, which is we don't know what is or is not present in another's mind in a direct way. So we must observe behavior over a long time. And Damarato has talked to me about arahatship in the past, and I've learned a great deal from it and looked into it myself to understand better. For even an arahat, Nibbana is not annihilation. Nibbana is a cooling off. Nibbana mm -hmm. is realizing... Not, not caring are, anymore. You just yeah, don't care about and, anything. Everything is all right. I can handle anything. <laughs> we still have sankara. We still have mental formation take place upon, you know, sense contact. Mm -hmm. But the difference is we don't have samfasa. We don't have strong contact in a, such a way that a strong mental formation mm -hmm. arises. This is an arahat. Is they, under, they still have it. It still comes, but they understand it'll also still go. And they've been doing mm -hmm. it long enough that this is a very nice response that they have programmed. Mm -hmm. Yes, Scott. Another way to point out uh, arahat is they have no quarrels with anyone. So they're, they're not quarreling with anyone in the world so like they don't have conflicts with other people because they they um because they don't they, care stuff they're too busy exactly now here's something that's kind of interesting that i'm seeing something play out that i knew a long time ago and watched it play out then and that is the arahat does not make a good Dhamma teacher because he doesn't care whether you get the Dhamma or not. And that the <laughs> examples of that would be that the, the Arahat will just sit there for a long time and let people just go on and on and on and on. And then he'll do a one-liner. He'll do a zinger. And that's the only Dhamma you'll ever get out of him is a zinger. Uh, that, uh, but the better teachers... Oh. Are, are those uh, that in fact there's a, a kind of a standard and the standards, there's several of them. One is that in order to be a teacher of the Dhamma, one should have the fruit of the, of the, the Dhamma, the fruit of the Sotapan, the, the joy, the uh, enthusiasm, because that stuff really rubs off. So that's the best kind of teacher to have is one who is really enthusiastic about you becoming enthusiastic about the Dhamma. The next level down would be the uh, the, uh, the 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 path of soda pine, not actually the fruit, but he's far enough along that he can impart correct dhamma. 
And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa has a standard that's a little bit lower than that, and that is, is that even though he's not Sotapan yet, he at least understands Paticca Samuppada, that that's really the bottom line. That if someone does not understand how the mind works, then he should not be teaching Dhamma, and yet you, you'll find that in the West a lot, that people teach the Dhamma just because they like it, they think they can make some money off of it, but that they really don't quite understand how the mind works. Yes, Scott, go ahead. Um, uh, another thing about teaching that, uh, brought something up for me in my mind is, uh, I heard a past spiritual teacher say this, and it seems pretty true for, um, I don't want to, um, put words in your mouth, but it seems pretty true for most, um, authentically awakened people who are quote unquote teaching. It's less of a trying to teach someone else as it is like a bird sitting on its branch singing its song just for the sake of singing its song Mm -hmm. like it's just the beauty of doing it and the enjoyment of actually doing it it's not like it's not for the motive of uh what's going to happen or if they're going to get it or not or what's if it was going to work it's because in the teaching when they're giving the teaching they're telling you their current experience so Mm -hmm. they're just singing song like they're just ha- they're it's so much fun to do it's so much fun to talk about like I, you probably heard me talk about that yes that because uh, people say well why do you teach so much and and uh, uh thank you and all of that kind of stuff and my answer to that is is that i'm doing this because i like it this is fun sharing the dhamma and watching you guys share the dhamma and grow with each other that's just the best part it was one of the reasons I came back over and over, Damarato, is you said, I don't do this because of duty to Dhamma. I don't do this because that. the other thing. I do this because I get a kick, and kick out of it. Right. This is mm-hmm. enjoyable. Just like that bird sitting on that, uh, yeah. singing his song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I do the win- the Wednesday calls. Yes, you like, enjoy doing it. Exactly. Actually, I, and since starting doing those calls, the, um, my practice is also like, accelerated like it, it, it like increased it because like the best way to learn something is to teach it like i think einstein yeah. said that something is like if you can't teach it to like a fifth grader you don't really understand it mm-hmm. like you yeah. have to be able to teach you have it. to be learn able to speak the teach it. there is oh, actually that... oh sorry There's... i'll just i thought real quick um that's another thing about the Buddha is that he spoke the language of the person he was teaching to. So mm-hmm. the Dhamma was explained in like different ways depending on upon the, the person. And probably one of my favorite stories was uh, a not so intelligent guy who's he's not going to understand all of the um, links of dependent origination and all the jhanas and stuff. He couldn't so even he learn just, the chanting. So yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he just he gave him a rock and a cloth and he said rub this rock and as you uh, p- uh purify the rock you purify your mind mm-hmm. so it's like um incredibly simple but also there's so much detail and like there's so much nuance to it like there's so much i feel like i'm learning something every time like I, i'm reading another sutta like uh-huh. there's always like, something else to learn and especially if you contemplate it afterwards, oh, it can be almost immediate. You know, you take it mm-hmm. in, you let it soak and suffuse and come back and read it again. And you go, oh, how did I miss that? Right, right, right. So there's a sutta 
that talks about this. It says, in fact, that there is five ways to learn the Dhamma. One is to listen to the teacher. Number two is to share it with your other friends. Number three is to mull it over. Number four is, is to recite like the, with the sutras, read them over and over again or recite it because that puts us in the, in the mind state. And then the fifth item on that list is the big one. And it's well known within the Sangha. And that is, is that we have to put ourselves in the position of teaching the Dhamma, especially if we're around people who are discerning and know something about the Dhamma. And so we want to make sure that we're teaching it correctly. You see, when we're just thinking about the Dhamma, we can think about most anything. But when you go out there to teach, you want to make sure that what you're teaching is correct. So my uh, on practice has greatly, greatly improved over the fact that I've been teaching. And I'm really, really proud of you, Scott, for doing that. Your your Dhamma will really grow because of that, uh, uh, as well as just taking that time to voice it and to speak it. So this is um, uh, part of the, the practice is to, to share the Dhamma with others, that everybody can be a teacher if they understand what they're teaching. And the best way to understand what we're teaching is by teaching it. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, uh, in fact, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and Achan Po had me teaching before I was ordained. Wow. And and uh, uh, that's, a, that's a great thing. Uh, because in Thailand, there's a tradition that only monks can teach the Dhamma. But that's not the case at all. Even in the time of the Buddha, there were lay people who were very famous teachers. There's in fact one. Go ahead. I went to a Thai Wat recently, and uh, the abbot there, he wasn't fluent in English, but we're talking about the Dhamma because it's not really in the language. So, like, I understood the Dhamma, but he didn't understand English. So he was Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, please come teach the, the Dhamma in English. Because the the only Dhamma talks they give are in Thai, and he mm-hmm. was com- he was completely happy. He was completely um, encouraging of me to come and teach it in English. Me um, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Colorado is such a sign because it's hard to find it's hard to find the real Dhamma, the noble Dhamma in English. So it's like really lucky to find Dhammarado on here teaching on the internet. Um, uh, 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 Thing I wanted to say is like once you do find a good teacher, like I I approached the interaction with the teacher the, the same way. Like I, I was pretty good at sports. Like I went Division One in college, but when I had a good coach, like I listened to what he told me and I did it. And I didn't just argue with him and I didn't say, oh, but that's not gonna work or that's not the right way to do it. I listened to what the wisdom the 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 good coach was telling me. Because he's been around the block a couple of times, so he's been doing this a lot longer than you have. Mm-hmm. So you can take the wisdom from the old guys, and if you apply it diligently, now you're like, oh, now I see why he was saying that. Like, now I know experientially that it works. So uh, that was the transition. Like, All right, guys. Thank you so much. It was a great meeting you guys tonight. Thank you. Yeah,
before you go, before you oh, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that in fact this, this is probably a pretty good time to finish this. Uh, so does DJ, do you have anything to add to this conversation that we've had tonight? You've covered anything? instincts and <laughs> mojo and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Just come on back to that mojo, baby, and chill. <laughs> 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 I love it, David. Matt, how do how do you go? How, what do you you have any thoughts about it before we leave? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I thought you mentioned that this talk was going to be on racism at the beginning. <laughs> well, like wondering- it has been, hasn't it? If you think about it, all of this territorial instinct and all of this one better than that and we wind up being in competition we're racist for everybody that's what the competition is all about yeah is to come out of that territorial instinctual thing that things are dangerous so thanks for remembering that so that we can tie that back together thank you (laughs) oh oh another thing is uh the whole concept that anything that this is me, mine, or I is racist. It's racist. So that's what it is. Like making a self, a continuous self that isn't there and saying, and giving it privilege over the others, that's what racism is just on a bigger scale. So like, mm-hmm. it's the same thing of getting rid of the, the, the cl- it's like a form of clinging, saying this is mine, this is me, this is I, mm-hmm. this is my country, this is my land, my people, or even my, even my body, or even my thoughts. <laughs> my body, my thoughts, my feelings, my intentions, my mm-hmm. sense bases, my sides, everything. It's none of it is me, my, my myself. So that's liberating. Right. So basically, racism is nothing but the fact that we think that we belong to the human race. And all we need to do is stop the race. We're not racing. We're not in competition. We're, you know, those other people out there, they can win too. We don't have to be that competitive. That that's what's really is at the bottom line is, is that we're already okay. We've already run whatever races that we were in. And now it's time to just to sit and relax and enjoy the fact that we're winners. That we we can't control our own mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thanks for bringing that up. Yes, we are all racist. And yet look at how they do it. You know, one political party accuses the other one of being racist and we're all racist. So stop racing. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Sangha. Right, thank, thank you, you so much, guys. We'll see you all later. See you, David. See you soon. See you, David. Take care. Nice meeting you, Alex. Take care, guys. Thanks for coming, Scott. Yeah. yeah Have a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah. yeah. Christmas. Happy holidays. Every day is a holiday. Amen. Every day is a holiday, actually. Yeah. Always cause for celebration. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye, Don Morata. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Scott. Bye-bye, DJ. <laughs>